0: church. Y'all ready to worship this morning? morning? Let's stand to our feet. So you, say hello.
1: In the presence of my enemies, when the storm is crashing down on me, I will trust in days.
0: never lose sight of the fact that we get to come and we get to sit at the feet of the creator of the universe, God. God, in all your majesty and all your wonder, yet every wall's been torn, every veil is removed to where nothing separates us from you and your love, God. God, and we thank you for that. Let us never take that for granted. Let us never just gather to go through the motions, but to truly Set our eyes on who you are. So God, let our praise just be pleasing to you, God. Let your presence fill this room, fill this building, With here in the cafe and the students and the children's ministry. God, let us experience you and encounter you. Be with Pastor Buddy so he delivers the message, God. We just want to receive you with open hearts. And as we continue this series of Lean In, we just want to lean in to you to press into your heart, God. God, change us. Heal us, mold us, and shape us into who you're calling us to be, Father. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated.
2: Good morning, Salem Fields. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. If you guys have not already, this would be a great time to pull out your phones and check into Facebook. Let people know where you are spending your Sunday morning. Um, Let them know that you're worshiping here. And I love that it's a full house today. I love to see all these shining faces. Um, Also, if you're a first-time guest with us this morning, we're really glad that you're here. Um, We're excited that you've been able to come and worship with us. And so on your way out the door, if you haven't already stopped by the table, there's a table out near the front, um, and we would love to give you guys a gift and say welcome. Also, if you're a first-time guest, um, you can fill out a connection card. You don't have to be a first-time guest to fill it out, but if you want to update any information for us, um, there's going to be one tucked into your program. Um, during the next song, we're going to be taking our tithes and offerings, and there are many different ways that you can give. Um, if you haven't already, you can download our Salem Fields Community Church app. Um, a lot of people use automatic withdrawal. You can give cash or check as the buckets come by, or you can do debit or credit out at the kiosks outside. Um, also, our giving statements, if you need those, those are available um, at SalemFields.com slash giving. And to get your first two months, you can email Howard at SalemFields.com. Lastly, we have our Night to Shine event that's coming up on February 8th. 8th. Um, if you are volunteering for that, Gary, raise your hand for me. Yes, I love that. Give a round of applause for that. I did it um, last year and I was a buddy and it was amazing. One of the greatest experiences I've ever had to um, do and it was awesome. So I'm really excited to see what God's going to do again this year. Um, if you own a business or you know a business that wants to sponsor the event, um, which is taking place on February 8th, you can email shine at salemfields.com um, and also if you are a volunteer and you haven't yet made it to one of the mandatory meetings, there is one last one which is going to be held tomorrow night at 645 here at the church. So um, if you haven't yet gotten a meeting Go ahead and make it out to that one tomorrow. We're really excited that you guys are here with us today. We're going to be taking our tithes and offerings during this next song.
3: very Sanford and Sunny, sort of, you know what I mean? It's like, man, it's like, reminds me of Blues Traveler a little bit, a lot of uh, harmonica. You don't hear that much anymore, you know? So, good morning. Yeah, wow, that was good, thanks. You know how often people do that? I I notice, because I sit back there a lot, like uh, uh, someone who's speaking, like, good morning, and they're like, that wasn't good enough. I'm not sure what the metric is. You know, like, what is the level that's not good enough? And then the point where everyone's like, ooh, that was good. So that's something to think about. We'll try to figure that out. All right, so we're continuing the Lean In series, and our text today comes from James 4.8, which is the first part of that verse, and it's, it's one that a lot of people, you know, along with John 3.16, they've heard it many times, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And so I find that interesting because th- that is not a possibility, it's a promise from God. And and we need to know the differences. You know, a lot of times people think about what's possible with God, but there's certain things that God delivers to us in in the form of a promise. And those promises are things that we should hold on to and like latch on to. The issue with this particular promise is it's a little terrifying, you know, for being completely honest. I I don't know about you. I, I have witnessed in my time in the ministry that so many people on paper you know, when you, when you speak to them, they'll say, yes, I, I want God to draw close. I want to draw close to God, and I want Him close to me. But when it comes to practice, they really don't. And, and that's not necessarily unusual, because there's something a little off-putting about, about imagining that God, the creator of the universe, if He is holy, if He is perfect, if He is, you know, all of these things, for Him to draw close to us is somewhat terrifying because we know how we are. And so we think it's, it's like the closer you get to a fire, you know what I mean? It's like it's really, really great until you're standing right there in it and it begins to singe you and burn you and it's uncomfortable and so our natural reaction is to back away. And God is a consuming fire. And so I, I guess the real issue here is b- before we even break into this, somewhat of what we have to answer for ourselves is do we really want to be close to God? And do we really want God to be close to us? And so you've got to do business with that first, honestly, before we do anything else. That's a decision that you have to make. Now, like I told you, I know I, there's some people, I've spoken enough times here, I know who's going to fall asleep before it's over. And so I thought about, like, maybe I should just give you the point of the message before so at least you have something to chew on. It's not fair for you that you get warm and toasty and sleepy in church. I mean, so I get it. So, I mean, the first thing is, is what I've said And hopefully every time God gives me the opportunity to speak, I'll tell you this. God is not satisfied with anything less than our total transformation. He's just not going to be satisfied with a partial transformation. So you have to know that. If you enter into the process, God will continuously transform each of us. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because He's the one that has the perfect template. Right? He's the one that knows exactly what we are supposed to be, what we could be if we weren't you know, dragged down and chained up with sin. And so his job, his goal, his purpose is to fully transform us. That's, that's the first thing that you need to think about, you premature sleepers. The second thing that you need to think about is that faith is an action word. Faith is actionable. That, that, that means it's pretty common if you've been around the... the church circuit. You've heard that several times, I'm sure, in, your, in your, your long walk. But what you need to understand about that is if faith is not demonstrating itself in your life, that means if you're not doing anything with it, if you're not doing something about the faith that you have, you need to really start to look deep inside and say, what faith do you have? Because this is a, a, a thing that we can't contain within us. It's built that way. It's made that way. God made it. It's like, I learned an important lesson. Um, I got a friend here who does uh, work. You know, he, he's construction and does it. Anybody that's in construction, you know this. I've got this uh, expanding glue, and I didn't realize it expands, right? So I'm like, I'm pouring it into this thing I'm trying to fix. And the next thing I know, it's like, it's just bubbled up. You know what I mean? I had this massive glue. And I was like, that's a lot of overkill right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I learned a little bit goes a long way when it comes to that. But the faith that God places within us is continuously expanding. It's not going to to be contained in a small place. It overflows. That overflow turns into service. Doing something. So I'll tell you this. I mean, it's it's that way if you can get mad at me, you can start emailing right now, buddy and gay at Salem Fields. (laughs) If If you're not doing something, if you're not serving, you're failing in your faith. That's just the way it is. So pardon me for saying that. We're going to continue, like I said, with with what's going on, uh, the the Lean In series. We started last week with The Sincere Heart. I'm getting older. Um, There was a time when I, I, like Roger Daltrey, I would say, I hope I die before I get old, you know? (laughs) And then I'm getting that way, and I'm like, I'm still considering it, but it's not as appealing as it once was when I was 16, you know what I mean? And so my, my dad, he'll be here at 11, he's 78, and so... He's like, I'm still happy, so, you know, I was like, gosh, I'm looking at that, like, am I going to be happy? Well, I guess I'll give it a shot, you know, I'm just going to keep on going and see what happens. But there was a commercial back in the day, and it was the E.F. Hutton commercial. Does anybody remember that? There's some old people in here, and the young people, like, what's a commercial? So, um, E.F. E. Hutton, yeah, it's the thing that breaks up your anime, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, so that's, I'm sorry about that. It's terrible when it happens. Uh, capitalism. They, um, anyway, EF Hutton is this finan- uh, financial company, right? And so they basically, they, they help people with their money, manage their money and their wealth. So they have this whole series of commercials. They're in the busiest places possible. People are, you know, in a restaurant, they're talking, um, they're in a train station, they're all over the place. And so they're talking, all these people are just jabbering, having these conversations and these two people are sitting there and they mention EF Hutton. As soon as the, the word EF Hutton happens, everyone stops talking and they lean forward because they want to hear what does ef hutton have to say you know it's like man i know if ef hutton is speaking i want to hear that because it can change my life do you get the obvious comparison <laughs> when god is speaking it's wise to lean in because we want to hear what we what he has to say and and what's interesting about leaning forward that that posture traditionally shows respect What's being said is so important that I don't want anything to get in the way. So, I want to get as close to it as possible. So, we lean in. It shows this this posture of respect. Now, the difference in the E.F. Hutton commercials is the person who mentions the term E.F. Hutton and says what they say doesn't lean back. They don't don't lean in also. They just sit there and say whatever E.F. Hutton said. That's the difference in them and God. Because God is not satisfied to just keep talking. He leans in. We lean, he leans, so that we become close together. It's a picture of intimacy. And so this is what we have to understand about God as we move forward in this, is that God, is, his desire is to be intimate with us, close to us, because he loves us. That is so difficult, man. When we think about what, it's, what real intimacy is, I've struggled with real intimacy all my life, Honestly. I've equated it to so many different things. But I, I, I still, man, what is true intimacy? I don't know. I know what it is, but I have a hard time with it because I, mo- most of the time in my life, intimacy only came from being served or, or feeling satisfied somehow. You know what I'm saying? So we have this love. When we talk about love, yes, we love abundantly, but we only love things that love us back. You know, we, we, we have a hard time loving someone or something that rejects us. It's just not in our nature. So, when we talk about intimacy, we look at God and we say, well, God, why would you... And this is real talk, by the way. Real talk. <laughs> That's Mike's group. Real talk. I mean, I, I would love to stand up here and give you the uh, you know, the, the frou-frou-fluffy message. I just can't. The, real, the reality of it is, is you and I both know that when it's dark in your room at night... All the lights are off. You can't see anything, and you're staring at the ceiling. That's when the theater of the mind happens. When you're looking up at your ceiling and and it's dark, my mind projects all the secret things of my life up on that ceiling. That's when I'm the most honest with myself. And and I see those things that, that honestly, nobody knows except me and God. It's embarrassing sometimes. It's hurtful sometimes. it, It makes me sad. It bums me out because I say, man... How many mistakes have you made? How many opportunities have you missed? How many things have gone wrong in your life because of your poor choices? And it just replays over and over again sometimes. Well, if that's happening, then all of a sudden we say, well, God loves me, but we know ourselves so well. And we say, well, how could God love me? Why would God love me? And so this idea of intimacy becomes quite foreign to us. And so that's the premise that I think we need to establish right now. This is not easy. It is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's profound at the same time. We struggle with intimacy because we know ourselves so well. And it's hard for us to believe that God, who apparently knows us even better than we know ourselves, would love us. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand? I, I could be the only one that feels that way. That's okay. It's not the first time that's happened. So Pastor Gay started this message last week, and, and we began with a sincere heart, right? The, the first step in this, this, this leaning in with God, this, this intimacy with God, is a sincere heart. Here's the thing that, that she told us about the sincere heart, and this is the key to it, is that if we want to have authentic relationships with people and with God, we have to have a clean heart because a sin-ridden heart will always seek to serve itself. But a pure heart will seek to serve the other because it's the right thing to do. And so that's the breaking point. Now, here's the other thing. We've realized by now we cannot, we, we can't make our hearts sincere. No, nothing that we can do, no amount of activity, no amount of whatever, hitting ourselves with ropes or crawling across broken glass or saying I'm sorry over and over again will cleanse your heart. Only God can cleanse your heart. God is the one who produces a sincere heart within us so that we can have an authentic relationship with him. That's how much he desires to, to be in relationship with us. Now, the, the mechanism, what he did to make that happen is extreme. He, to the point of dying on a cross, right? So he must really, really care about us having a sincere and pure heart. So as Gay walked through that message, I mean, you, it's, it's easy to listen to, but hard to imagine. What, is it, what would it feel like, what would my life be like if I had a sincere heart, a true, pure heart? Well, God's in the transformation business. God's in the business of transforming this heart that's broken and, and chained up and sin-ridden into something that's pure and beautiful. So that's this is the process that we've entered into. We lean in. God leans back towards us. So the second part as we move forward is because God's in the transformation business, his objective is to purify and cleanse those secret places within us that scare us to death, that make us so, uh, that's weird, that make us so, <laughs> it's possible that... I'm having a, like a psychiatric moment, you know, because that may not have actually been there, and I'm just like, swat. So if anybody has any Ritalin, that would be helpful. <laughs> just put it in a cup of coffee and give it to me. <laughs> I don't, can you combine Ritalin and coffee? I don't know what the... I don't know. <laughs> but it sounds like it's something to try. Uh, so I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to give that a love. At any rate... <laughs> God says that, that we, we, we struggle because in Ezekiel 36, he's talking to Ezekiel really for the people. And, and Ezekiel is, is saying what God has to say. He's, he's, he's basically transmitting God's message because the people had given up talking to God a long time ago. They had given up... Interfacing with God, exactly the same challenge that you and I have today, they had with Moses when they approached the mountain and they said, You know what, Moses? We don't want to talk to God. We're not comfortable talking to God. You talk to God and tell us what He has to say. Which is all of a sudden the the first church pastor. Because now most people expect us to interface with God and tell you what God is saying. When God is saying, do we really have to play telephone with each other? Because I'd rather just talk to you. That's a, that's available. And so I appreciate we we appreciate all the trust that you put within us, but you know honestly, you're getting a diluted message because you could get it directly from the source if you chose. So I would recommend that. I don't know if it puts me out of a job, but I would still recommend it. <laughs> I can still do the Greek and Hebrew stuff for you. So let's <laughs> just keep you on board. Would you just for a little bit longer? <laughs> But in Zechariah 36, God says, I, I will transform this heart of stone, this, this rocky place within you that only seeks to serve itself into a heart of flesh. That will happen so that we can now have a trusting and sincere relationship with God and with other people. That's God's desire, right? That's what he's talking about. So the way I kind of define this is I see it as like it's, it's a dance of faith. But God's not satisfied just to purify you and I and turn us into a tchotchke. Does anybody know the etymology or the, the, the word history of tchotchke? Because I don't, honestly. I just I saw the word. It's ridiculously spelled, which I think I got it wrong. I missed the T up there, so that's my fault. But it, T-C-H-T-C-H. Who does that? I mean, it's just dumb. But th- where did that come from? <laughs> Rini? It's Polish. Who didn't know that? Okay, there we go. So it's a Polish word. Does everybody know what a tchotchke is? Yeah, of course, it's all that annoying stuff that people bring and like put on a shelf and you walk in their house like, what is that? nick knack is that what you said? Okay, (laughs) I guess that's a softer word than chotki. So, you know what's funny? I I think back, did you all know anybody that ever collected spoons? I mean, who's the genius that came up with that? It's like, here, man, I'm going to go steal a spoon. I'm going to take a spoon. At some point, like every time I go to the Outback, I take a spoon in remembrance, and they get so angry. You know, I'm like, well, I was raised this way. So I just get a marker, and I write Outback on it, and it's my collectible spoon. But, I mean, what genius is like, I'm not even going to give you a full-size usable spoon. I'm going to give you a small spoon that's worthless, you know, with the little sticker on it. That's just crazy, and they made a mint doing that. I've known people, it's like their goal in life was to get a spoon from everywhere. You know, it's like crushing a penny. Like, that's even sadder. Like, why would you do that? Get a card or something. People are so destructive, man. God's not satisfied with a perfect tchotchke. He, he, is, he is not, he doesn't have designs to purify you and turn you into this beautiful, perfect thing just to set you on his shelf. And every time he's on his way to work, he's like, oh, I remember, Kelly. And then walks out the door and drinks his coffee and comes back, oh, I remember, Kelly. That's not at all the case. God's not in the business of purifying you and I and transforming us so that we can just sit on a shelf somewhere. This is a message of faith. It's a message of active faith, of serving faith. And so I will say to you again, and and, and some way of challenge if you are not serving somewhere and yes you should be serving here at Salem Fields Community Church and yes it's a sad 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 thing that we have to ask some people to volunteer 30 plus hours a week volunteer 30 plus hours a week because 90 something percent of the people that come through the doors don't do anything except be served that's sad and it's, it's really, it's an opposition to this active faith that God put within us. I mean, is, would you be satisfied with a God like that? Who just, all he does is sit on his throne and wait for you to serve him, and, and he gives nothing back to you? I mean, when we talk about tithing, we always have to, not we can't just say... We should tithe because God says to tithe. We should give to God because He says to give. We are forced to say, well, we should do that so that God will lavish blessings on you. Because if we don't get something out of it, we're not going to do it. That's not good. It's not good, honestly. It's the way it is, but it's not good. God has put this faith within us and activated us and purified us so that we will do something with it together with him. Because that's what he's looking for. He wants to walk hand in hand together. He wants to do the dishes with you together. He wants to cook with you together. He wants to vacuum the floor together. He wants to watch movies together. I don't know which ones, but there's something. (laughs) Not R-rated movies. He does not want to do that with you together. So I see this as like a dance. It's, it's active. It's movement. It's motion. It's, it's fluid. This is what God has called us to. So in any dance, there's positions. If you're going to learn the dance, you have to learn like, how to do the dance. Um, I'm a great dancer. Everyone knows that. And I, I don't like ballrooms so much, even though I'm really, really good at it. I'm more of a, like a hip-hop, crunk kind of dancer, right? Lexi will tell you. She's seen, she's, back in the booth, sometimes I'll throw down a little bit. I'm not going to do that here, but I'm so good at it. So, But I know that when I'm learning a new dance, I have to learn, you know, right? Lex, a new, I have to, there's positions that you've got to learn. So we're going to learn this faith dance together today. First position, adjust your frame. If you're going to be one of those ballroom dancing people, um, yeah, I have watched Dancing with the Stars. It makes me sad to tell you that. But when there's nothing else on TV, then I will watch that just because I can't be alone with myself. I have to watch something else. And so they always, they talk about, you know, what it is to, to dance and like the things they describe the dances. The first thing that they always mention is the frame, right? So if you're going to like say waltz, I mean, you have to, it's chest up, arms up, you know, everything's out, it's a, it's a frame. You have to adjust yourself. You have to prepare yourself for the dance. The second half of the verse that we're working with today, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, is the hard part of the verse, which says, cleanse you, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's a stinger. Because God's not just saying, well, if you just step towards me, I'll step towards you. He's saying, step towards me and do this. Because I don't want to be near you like that. I want you to be like this, When you step towards me, that's scary because now there's something that has to be done. We want so badly to be the ATM God where we just put our card in. He spits out blessings and we don't want to have to do anything because we're spiritually lazy people. It's part of our sin nature, by the way. But God says, no, purify your hearts, cleanse your hands. There's something wrong up here that needs to change. So we, we, we live in this service-inundated culture. We live in a place where we expect people to serve us all the time. I mean, we go to restaurants, and we give them a bad rating if they're not standing right at our elbow waiting to refill our water. Or, I mean, if anybody in here is a server or has been a server, you know how difficult it can be to please people. I mean, some people have such high expectations of, of service. You know, I've watched people get mad at Taco Bell, and, like, they're just, like, just irate. I'm like, you're at Taco Bell. <laughs> Like, why? What, what are you expecting? I mean, man, you know what I'm saying? This it already. But people, they want to be served. And so we, we take that and we put it on God. We say, you do it. Oh, if you want me to be clean, you clean me. You do it. And God says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to provide all that you need to do that. But you are going to be a part of this. Because guess what? You got yourself into the mess. So I'm going to assist you to get out, but I'm not going to do everything for you, because this is a dance. You and I, we're going to move together in this. And so God's expectations, when he says, purify your hearts and cleanse your hands, well, we all know there's certain things that you need to clean yourself, I think, unless you're a, you know eight-year-old boy, you don't need anything ever. <laughs> and so you know that one of the first things that we need, if we're going to wash our hands, is we need soap, Right? Again, when I was young, when I was in elementary school, I didn't believe in soap. I mean, who needs it? You know, so I used a little bit of water. It would hit the back of my hand. I'm good to go. I'm super clean. And then my mom, in the greatest affront to my, bird, my, you know, my manhood, I'm becoming a man, she stands behind me and washes my hands for me. That's the worst thing ever. You know, I'm like, because you feel like you're this tall. And I'm like, I'm this tall. I can wash my own hands. And she's like, why don't you? I don't like soap. She's like tough, tough luck. And so she gets the bar of soap, and like my hand, I'm just like a you know rag doll. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like Kermit the Frog. You know what I mean? When he gets all excited, and she's like just doing the whole soap thing. Ah, so irritating. (laughs) I mean, you don't need soap. I guess you could sandblast your hands, but there's there's some long lasting problems with that. I mean, you're you're gonna pull back like just the stumps. You know what I'm saying? So if you want to cleanse yourself and be able to use your hands. I suggest using soap. So what is God's soap? God's soap is redemption and forgiveness. God uses the redemptive work of the cross, the the, the ability to come to God and find forgiveness as his soap. That's what cleanses us. The blood of Jesus Christ on on the cross cleanses us. So God realizes that water alone is not going to do it. We need something that's going to get into all the cracks and crevices under the nails, that's going to uh, fight the bacteria and all the things that are on our hands and in our hearts. And he gives us the cross, the blood of Jesus dripping down the cross. That is the soap that God gives us. It's not cheap. You know, it's like hand-pressed goat milk soap. That's expensive soap sometimes like eight bucks a bar man it lasts a week and it's no good but this lasts forever it's glycerin soap the blood of Jesus God gives us that so that we can cleanse ourselves well again I've tried this too I've taken a dry bar of soap and tried to rub my hands with it before just to see what happens if it's oatmeal soap it hurts really bad because it just like stabs you all the time I actually have some cedar wood soap. It's so crazy. It's actually made with little bits of cedar. That's the dumbest thing ever. Because it is a bar of splinters. But it's supposed to, I don't know why, but I do have it. I mean, literally cedar pieces of wood in the soap. It's so stupid. But I have it, in case you're wondering. You try, yeah, it works great. I pick out all for, yeah, it's terrible. It's like a cactus. You can use the soap if you want to. You can try rubbing the dry bar on your hands, but you're not going to get very far. We know we need water, right? So what is, what is this water that God provides us? It's the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Here's what's amazing about this forgiveness that God gives us. The cross alone, the blood alone of Christ does cleanse us, but it's very focused, So God gives us this Holy Spirit that that acts as an agent, that spreads the blood around, that lathers the blood so that it covers and gets into every pore, every place in our heart that is darkened by sin, that is trapped, that's enshrouded by sin, that's chained by sin. The, the, The mystery of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit takes the blood of Christ, the soap, and it moves and, and all over just to make sure that we're completely covered and completely cleansed. That's how beautiful God is. He's not satisfied just to give us this, this cleansing that's so focused, he spreads it all over so that we're completely clean. Because again, he's, he's in the complete transformation business. He's not satisfied to just cleanse a portion of you, but all of you. For a reason. So God gives us the beautiful Holy Spirit to do that. Well, after you've washed your hands, most people dry their hands. I say most people because there are people here that when you shake their hands, it's wet. (laughs) And you're thinking to yourself, why is that? (laughs) And you try to trust humanity they probably ran out of towels in in the bathroom. They 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 But there's just that person you're thinking, "Man, did they pee on their hands?" Somehow, I mean, is is it possible and it's always in the back of your head. And there's some people here, I just know, if I I just know. I'm like, "Man, I just I want to trust you so bad." You know what I mean? But we we're standing out there and we're shaking hands and we get we just get the wet hand, man. I'm like, and then it's it's the uh oh, I just came from the bathroom, which is not a help. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I'm like, you know what? I mean, just use your shirt or your pants or something. I mean, anything. Just give me a break a little bit. So God, out of love for you, doesn't want you to go out in public with wet hands, so he dries your hands for you. He gives us a towel. What's God's towel for drying? It's the, the empty shroud of resurrection. That's that the grave clothes. That's what Jesus left behind when he left the tomb behind. When when they went looking for Jesus in the tomb, all they found were empty clothes. And those clothes represent the freedom from death of resurrection. That's the beauty of it. Look, if we're being real, the cross is amazing. The cross provides the mechanism for forgiveness and redemption. The, the blood on the cross is what we needed to be free from this penalty of sin. But without the resurrection, it's just a rotten, ugly, rough piece of wood. It's a dry bar of soap that just, it's rough and it tears our hands up. We can't handle it. So thankfully, God provides us the Holy Spirit, but then He gives us the resurrection so that we, we step out of death into life that's the key here this faith that we're talking about is a faith of hope it's a faith that is shareable because we're alive to tell the story because of those empty grave clothes we can we can look at all the troubles in life and say what's so bad and and I said this last night and it sounds quite cavalier sometimes or or like really boastful but I just man, I just just think about this for a moment I'm not going to minimize what you're going through in life. I know there's stories in the crowd right now that are just horrible. Terrible things are happening. I get that. But could I just offer a little bit of perspective? The cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ provides eternity, eternity with God, free of sickness, free of pain, free of abuse free of hurt, free of addiction, free of those things, that is provided by God for us for eternity. Now, the longest point of our lives is, I mean, God forbid we live to be 120 years old. I can't imagine. I, I'm just, I'm not into that. You know, I just, I'm not. I'm telling you right now. So if you, anybody in here, if you come see me and I'm 119, I'm, I'm going to have a sad look on my face. Probably. <laughs> If I even have a face, I don't even know what I have left at that point. I don't even know. But even at the longest point of our lives, and no matter how difficult and how rotten that 120 years has been compared to eternity, it's a drop in the bucket. And so I have to ask you, believers in Christ, disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, how is it that we are able to walk around this earth downcast and downtrodden and defeated all the time if God has secured our eternity. I mean, I know times can be tough. I get it, but compared to eternity, how bad? Remind me of that. I mean, I I, I just, how bad? We've got believers in other countries that are suffering persecution to levels that we can't even imagine, but they still smile because they know that compared to eternity, it's nothing. And this is the hope of the resurrection of Christ when he dries our hands off. It's amazing, truly. Here's something that we, if, if we're going to dance with God, we have to accept his invitation. God's a gentleman. God's not going to force you to do anything. There have been times in my life that I have, have looked up at God and said, why do you let me do stupid things? Why do you let me do that? Why do you allow me to make these mistakes, God? If you really loved me, you wouldn't let me do that. And God says, oh, no, no, no. It's because I love you that I let you make those choices. Because I want you to choose me. I, yes, could I force you to love me? Yes, but is that real love? I mean, is love a gunpoint true love? Well, they call it Stockholm Syndrome, Right? You get if someone's kidnapped and they're with them so long, they, they begin out of a safety mechanism to say, man, I think I love this person because it's survival. Is that the kind of love that God has for us? Survival love? Fake love? No. God says, I give you all the freedom to choose me or not choose me, to love me or break my heart. It's up to you. So God stands with his hand extended saying, may I have this dance? And he waits on us to say yes or no. Now, here's the cool part about God is that um, it it just reminds me that he he says, I don't want to just dance with you the way you are. I want you to look your best, which in my case is very difficult. God's quite patient. But it reminds me of of some dances that I I, I took my daughter to when she was young. So we have those daddy-daughter dances and the different little balls and stuff. There's nothing better to me. It was so exciting that she wanted to look her very best. And so she, being young, I would arrange with with some friends that to get dropped off at their house, and they would do her nails, do her hair. She would get a new dress. Um, She would, you know, just get herself completely ready for the dance. And I would go and pick her up, and there she would stand at the door just looking amazing, just a beautiful little girl, right, ready to dance, And I picture that and I say, that's exactly what God has for us. That's what he wants to do for us. So I'll read this story to you out of Ezekiel 16. God is speaking about how he sees us. And so I think we need to hear that so that we understand just how much God truly loves us. So in Ezekiel 16, starting in verse 8, God says, I passed by you again, and I saw that you were old enough to love and to be loved. So I offered myself to you in marriage. I wrapped my garment over you to cover your nakedness. Then I gave you my divine promise to always be your beloved, and I entered the sacred covenant of marriage with you. I wed you, and you became mine. I bathed you with pure water and washed away the old blood from your skin, and then I anointed you with fragrant oils. I dressed you in an embroidered gown and put the finest leather sandals on your feet. I gave you the most luxurious linens and exquisite garments. I decorated you with the most expensive jewelry, bracelets for your wrists. A necklace for your neck, a nose ring, costly earrings, and a stunning crown for your head. I adorned you with everything a woman could wish for. Gold and silver, the finest clothes of linen, silk and embroidery. You dined on elegant meals made with fine flour, honey, and olive oil. You became a beautiful woman and carried yourself as a queen. You became famous among the nations for your extraordinary beauty. Beauty that flourished only because I lavished my splendor on you. Now, guys, I realize that this is a picture that's really hard for us to swallow, but if you could just put your manhood aside for a moment and recognize that in the face of God, you're still loved. So you can up-convert that to any whatever man-ish thing that you want to do, but the reality of it is God loves you so much that in our nakedness, covered in blood, beaten and broken on the street, God saw us, fell immediately in love with us, wrapped his cloak around us as a sign of protection married us, clothed us, cleaned us, gave us jewelry, gave us the finest food so that the rest of the world would look and say, that is the most beautiful I've ever seen because he lavished his love on us. This is how God sees you and I. So when we enter into this faith dance, God says, I'm not satisfied to just pull you up by your hand and, and dance with you in your brokenness and in your, in your filth. I'll clean you, clothe you, make you beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that the rest of the world will rave about your beauty. You'll be mine and I'll be yours. So when you go to work and when you go wherever, are people raving about our beauty of faith? Because if they aren't, Maybe there's something wrong, huh? I mean, do they see a scared, anxiety-ridden individual who's terrified about everything that's going to happen, who's sad, who's broken? It's one of those things that kills me every time I hear believers say, ah, I'm just so broken. Why? Why are we so broken? Why are we always so, why do we stop at brokenness? Why do we, we wear that like a banner? Oh, I'm so broken. Why? God says I'm healing you. God says, I'm reconciling you. God says, I'm I'm fixing you. I'm clothing you. What does that say about God when His, his beloved walk around broken all the time? Of what use is something that's broken? Do you think that God loves you so much that he leaves you broken? Or is it possible that God's in the business of healing us so that we can do something with that? That's what I think. But you know what? We don't trust God. That's, that's the position too. We, we have to adjust our frame and get ready for the dance. But the second thing is we've got to trust our partner. God's trustworthy. He's proven himself. We are the ones who aren't trustworthy. We're the ones who aren't trustworthy. That's why we question God's motives. Because we know how we are. And we just assume that God's like us. Well, he's not. He's trying to conform us to his image, where when we say something, we actually do it. That's God. So God is trustworthy. God says, I will redeem you. I will transform you. I will not leave you in your filth. I will not put you on a shelf, because we have work to do. Once again, when you walk out of this place, And you go to lunch or wherever you're going or you go home to your family or you go wherever you go, are you shining with the beauty of what God has done for you and me? Are you beautiful so that people say, what happened to you? I want that. Are you doing anything? Are we doing anything with all this? If we aren't, we're missing the point. Psalms 910 says, and those who know your name put their trust in you, O Lord. You have not forsaken those who seek you. Do you see what has to happen here? We seek God. We know his name. We know his name. He's not a mystery to us. He is to some, but he's not a mystery to us. We know God's name. We've seen God in action in his word. We know it. Now we seek it. If we seek him, God says, you'll what? Find me. If you seek me, you'll find me. Then what? Then the party begins. Because God says, man, I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you the way you were. Quickly, there's, I, I watch the show Fear Factor. You ever watch that sometimes? It's, it's another guilty pleasure. It's stupid, but I would do any of that stuff. I could care less. I mean, $50,000 is not a ton of money, but it's more than I got right now. So if I have to like, eat rotten milk, so be it. I've done that just by mistake. So I mean, I'm mean, i like, man, for 50 grand, I'm in, you know what I mean? That's why my mom taught me to shake the milk, that way you know if it's clumpy, it's not good. So I forget that sometimes. But I remember this one particular show, they, they, it was a team thing, and so they had one person in a booth with a, a microphone, the other person in a completely blacked out room with a headset. All they could hear was, was what was being said to them over the microphone. They couldn't see anything. The room was completely black, and they had a blindfold on. So it was truly, truly like like no sight whatsoever. The room was filled with um, spider webs and tarantulas. It was filled, filled totally. I mean, everywhere you go, there's tarantulas. And I don't know how they didn't step on them, which I'm sure they probably didn't talk about that. But they're Everywhere. And so the goal was, the person was supposed to walk them through the room and tell them turn left, turn right, because they're trying to find three keys. They can see inside the room because of those uh, night vision cameras. So they know what's going on, they know where the keys are, and they're directing the person. Well, you can see where I'm going with this. The person in the room has to completely trust the person on the microphone. And when they start, they do. But the way they set it up is, you have to walk through one spider web at least with tarantulas on it before you can even enter into the room so everybody has to walk through one and get covered with spiders and spider webs that breaks trust quickly (laughs) because then you're thinking if you try man why are you doing this to me you can hear them yell why didn't you tell me that was there well they had no choice you know what i mean and they don't turn on the microphone until they walk through and so they couldn't say anything they couldn't help them they couldn't do anything and so trust is now broken, as far as the person in the room is concerned. But they have to quickly decide, am I going to trust this person? Are they going to get me through this? And so they tell them how to avoid it, how to find the keys, and how to get out. That's, that's kind of where we are with God a lot of times. We look around our life and we say, man, my trust has been broken so many times. We, we come out of the womb trusting. But we quickly figure out that people are untrustworthy. And when that happens, we become relatively bitter. And so we don't trust people anymore. And so when God says, trust me, I don't know. I don't know, God, I want to trust you, but how come these bad things keep happening in my life? I want to trust you, God, but how come my family is sick or I'm sick? I want to trust you, God, but I'm broke. I'm about to get evicted. I want to trust you, God, but just a string of terrible things keep happening. God, I'm addicted. I can't stop. Why don't you fix me? And God says, trust me. And we say, but I want to trust you, but I'm still hurt. And so it's just it's a really sticky situation. Well, you know, the thing about God is, is that he's, he's not like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. He's not, he's not out in this dance to, to glorify himself. That's going to happen just by nature because he's amazing. God actually more so pushes us forward so that the world can see us spinning in our beauty, That's how we know we can trust God because God's not using you and I to just to be self-seeking so that he feels better about himself. He is dancing with us so that we begin to wake up to who we really are and that the world could see what God is capable of and what he's doing in lives because see, there's people in the world out there that have no hope whatsoever, nothing. They don't know that there's more. They don't know that there's a life beyond this. They don't realize that they don't have to, to feel ashamed and guilty all the time. But again, that means that you and I have to not feel guilty and ashamed all the time so that we can demonstrate a difference. That's why God enters this dance with us. He does it so that as we uh, twirl and spin, we, we look amazing, we're beautiful. God steps back and He says, Look at them. Look, look at how beautiful they are. Look at my beloved. Amazing. Look at what a beautiful dancer they are. Look how incredible they are. They used to be this, but now they're this. And so that other people in the room can look and say, I, I want to dance with this God. I want to be beautiful like that. I want to be able to do that. I want those fine clothes. I want to be different. And so it comes back down to your faith. Does your faith make you different? Is it working? Because honestly, if you can walk in and out of here every week and do nothing and serve nowhere, anywhere here at church or outside of here and do nothing, is your faith working? What's the point? I mean, what's the point? John, what's the point? What's the point in having a faith that only serves you? What's the point, Skip, of having a faith that only serves you? Is there an answer? I mean, is the point of all of this, Jesus on the cross, all of this was just to save you? Or is it for everybody? Your faith, man, take this point home and stew on it. Faith is our demonstration of the dance with God to the world. If people don't see us doing anything, then what do we have? What good is it? We, by design, are to attract new partners to God. That's that's what we do so that other people can say, I want that. And God can scoop them up from their mess, just like He did with us. So, yes, I will challenge you, whether it makes you, me, upset, because it upsets me when God does it to me. So, I'm just going to pass it on to you. What are you doing? What are we doing? If we're not serving God so that other people can see how beautiful God is, what's the point? There is none. And this is where we are. Do I want you to sign up for a ministry? Yeah, I do. Man, stand behind a camera. Punch the, the thing on the computer. Carry out trash. When you walk outside in the parking lot and you see a piece of trash, pick it up. Stand in the parking lot and wave at people as they walk in. If you're not strong enough to stand at the door and shake their hand. Stack a donut, man. Make a cup of coffee. You should be making coffee anyway because it's God's holy juice. (laughs) So you should be doing that. But I mean, do something. Stack a chair, sweep up the state. Who cares? But do something with your faith so that the person in your life that you don't even realize is watching you looks at you and says, I want that. I need that. That's the challenge. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. Man, thank you so much for, in the midst of of all that we've done and who we are, God, and knowing where we are, that you still redeem us and you love us. God, thank you so much. I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would just move. It would move us to action. God, that would move us to faith. That would move us to having a true, active faith. So that people in our lives, God, that are so lost and so broken, just like we have been, God, would look at what you've done for us and crave that in their lives. Father, God, don't let anybody leave this place without at least having to do business with you, at least having to look you in the face, God, and say, no, I don't want to do that. Don't, don't let anybody leave without that conversation, God, Please but I'm just asking you for continuous transformation in our lives. God, you're so gracious. Your Holy Spirit is so incredibly gracious to us as it it loves us closer and closer to you. Thank you, God, for letting us lean into you, and thank you for leaning back, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue and finish in worship, okay?
0: season, in every trial, and every circumstance, God. God, I just pray, Lord, that as we step out in faith, you will meet us with each and every step, God. You'll call us to deeper waters. God, you'll call us to trust in you more, Father. God, we just thank you that you have spoken to our hearts here, God. Let us just go in faith, responding to you, not letting this just be another service, God, but letting this be a day where we drew closer to you, where we leaned in further to your heart, God. God, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your day. God bless you all. See you back here next weekend.